guys, we're going to be in James in chapter 5. Guys, excuse me today, I'm probably going to have to drink a little bit to keep going. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And the message is the danger of want. The danger of want. James chapter 5, beginning verse 1. The word of God says, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. More cheery stuff from James, isn't it, right? You got any rich people here today? I'm going to try to convince you a little bit. I, some of you may already be at this place. Some of you may not so much, but you are loaded. And I don't think you realize it. And the Lord has been convicting me again. And we were kind of joking a little bit, but also the joking kind of got a little too close to my heart. And that is getting in that garage. And what do you have that you never use? Just you need more storage space. So you can store your junk that you never use. Is the Lord pleased with that? Is he speaking to that at all? I mean, it's easy to kind of laugh about it a little bit, but when you start to really think about it, and when you hear the words of James today, he's not laughing. And that's where I started getting like, okay, God, I need some change in my life. And I hope today, again, that you will not hear me, because if you're hearing me, it's just going to be another day at church. But if you'll hear the Lord today, you'll walk out of this place, and maybe the Lord will cause you to do something different this week through the power of his spirit that will impact and influence others with the riches that he has bestowed upon you. Right? Yeah, just to kind of some things to get us thinking about this idea of riches and money and buying happiness. The Tribune, in 1996, ran the story of Buddy Post. You ever heard of Buddy Post? It was living proof that money can't buy happiness. In 1988, so think about the dollars in 1988 dollars, he won $16 million in the Pennsylvania lottery. If you won $16 million a day, that'd still do pretty good, wouldn't it, right? Since then, listen to this, since he won the money, he was convicted of assault his sixth wife left him. His brother was convicted of trying to kill him. And his landlady successfully sued him for one-third of the jackpot. Money didn't change me, insists Buddy Post, a 58-year-old former carnival worker and a cook. It changed people around me that I knew, that I thought cared a little bit about me. But they only cared about the money. 
Post is trying to auction off 17 future payments valued at nearly $5 million in order to pay off taxes, legal fees, and the number of failed business ventures. He plans to spend his life as an ex-winner pursuing lawsuits he has filed against police, judges, and lawyers who says he conspired to take his money. I'm just going to stay at home and mind my P's and Q's, he said. Money draws flies. Now, what I would challenge you to do sometime, Google lottery winners. We had this in one of our Sunday school lessons one time, and I think there were 17 or 18 stories that sounded almost just like that. Like people that didn't have money all of a sudden had unbelievable money, and instead of their life becoming everything they'd ever dreamed of, it went completely down the toilet bowl. They thought that money was the answer to their issues, and instead, money only brought misery. And I want to tell you today, if you put your hope in riches, it's only going to bring you misery as well. And you would say, oh, preacher, my hope's not in riches. And I'm going to challenge you today to really think that. All right, again, if you listen to the Lord, not to me, hopefully he would encourage you and figure out where you can work in your heart and your life. First thing I want to look at, just two paragraphs today we want to focus on. First one is the misery of the greedy. The misery of the greedy. James says, it's NIV here, verse 1, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Misery is coming to the rich. Why is it so significant that he uses that phrase, the last days? Again, this is 2,000 years ago, right? Almost. And James knew in his time that the Lord could be coming, and he's like, why wouldn't you use the things that the Lord has distributed to you, the things the Lord has gifted to you, why wouldn't you use those things to influence people for the Lord's kingdom instead of building bigger barns and more garages and having more storage sheds? And the words that he used, it will eat your flesh like fire. It will testify against you. It's not like a little light thing, is it, right? It's not something that he glosses over. He is speaking clearly to the rich that are part of the community, part of the church, that they need to be using the things that God has gifted them for the Lord's glory. Misery is coming to the rich. Well, again, maybe you don't think you're that rich today, but I thought this was interesting from P. Brand. He says, Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice, but it has set me to thinking. This is back in the 1900s. He says, no matter how much wealth the rich young ruler had, he could not ride in a car, he could not have surgery, he could not turn on a light, buy penicillin, hear a pipe organ, watch television, wash dishes in running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the telephone. If he was rich, then what am I? You walk into Walmart and you want to buy Oreos. What's your problem? There's 27 different kinds. That is your first world problem here in America, isn't it, right? It's hard to make decisions 
because we are so wealthy that all we do is kind of keep reinventing a little extra and a little extra, right? Your, my problem coming back from India with Paul was I'm flying an airplane almost 40,000 feet in the air and my Wi-Fi wasn't working consistently. You guys have thought of it, and I've said that before, right? That's like a ridiculous thing to, that's a problem? Really, right? Your problem is that your Alexa doesn't always hear your voice right, so you don't have to get off your couch to change the temperature in your living room? This is, I mean, it is funny, but when you kind of think about it, it's a little ridiculous, isn't it, right? You don't have to worry about going outside the church so that you can get the pump going so you can take some water home so you can have clean water for dinner tonight. Most of you are going to walk home and you're going to go to the sink and you're going to flip it up and you're not even going to think about it because it's your everyday experience. You're loaded! And we don't know it because everyone around us is just as rich as we are. But if you get out of this place a little bit and you go find some other people in some other places, you're going to realize there's a whole world out there that's not as rich as you are. And there's a whole world out there that needs Jesus. And we're worried about how we're going to up our next little level of whatever it is we have. Can I get a little better car? Can I just get a little nicer room? Can I get a little fancier fishing rod? Can I get a little better tennis shoes or a nicer dress? If you'll be with me this morning, go around your garage a little bit. If any of you have a storage shed, Lord help you, go through that today. Now hear me out. If you are using what the Lord has given you, and it's organized and it's disciplined, and you are giving it to God's glory, praise the Lord. But if you're just buying stuff on stuff, and you sometimes go buy stuff because you don't even know what you have, this is where God is speaking to you today. Fix it. Straighten up. That's what James is speaking to the rich. It's the end of days, and yet they don't see how important that it is. Again, hear me this morning. Not all rich people are in the wrong, but it is difficult for most rich people to know God. Those aren't my words, by the way. Matthew 19, if you want to turn there, verse 22. Remember, we were talking about the rich young ruler just a second ago, right? When the young man had heard this, he went away sad because he had what? He had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, listen to this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who can be saved? You guys know the story, right? Some people, some theologians have went to great length to say, well, this eye of the needle is actually, it's about four feet high. If the the camel would get down on its knees, it could go through. I don't think that's at all what Jesus was talking about. I think he was saying it was impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, except at the end of this passage, he'll say all things are possible with God. That's the point. But the problem is that we get so dependent upon our riches and this this young man comes, and I think in his heart he thought, I'm going to come to Jesus, and I'm going to get some approval that I'm on the right path, I'm in the right direction. And Jesus said, well, you just got one thing left. You've been obeying all the commandments. Just sell all you have, give, give it to the poor, and follow me, and find treasure in heaven. And what does he do? I can't do that. 
If the Lord came to you today and he said, I want you to go to Calcutta and live there for 10 years, can you do that? Or if he said, go to Mexico, what if he even said, I want you to go to downtown Indy and I want you to get rid of your house and get rid of your car and I want you to live among the homeless? Could you do that? And maybe the one thing isn't riches, but I would say for most of us in the room today, a lot of us, it is. That's the one thing that gets in the way between us and serving the Lord. But again, the disciples, what was their attitude? Well, this is like the premier guy. This guy's got great influence. We think, from our studies, we think he was probably already in the Sanhedrin as a young person. He had so much wealth that everybody thought, well, if he's wealthy, God must be blessing him, right? That's the blessing of God. And they're saying, well, if he's not saved, who can be? Because <laughs> he's got all the blessing. And what Jesus was telling them is that God's blessing isn't always tied up in wealth. As a matter of fact, most of the time it's not tied up in wealth. And yet we view things the same way this day, don't we, right? Well, man, that church must be doing really great because they got the fanciest building and the greatest signs and the best website and the most incredible smoke machine and the best show around. But maybe the most impactful church in Indianapolis is meeting in somebody's house with 15 people who are completely sold out to God. Hmm? Careful. We get our minds tied in just the same way the world does. That, oh, well, there's great influence there. There's power with the money. It must be tied to the money. Again, the pain of wasted riches is great. What are the words James used? Again, not my words. Please, please don't listen to me. Please listen to the Lord this morning. James says, weep and wail. When's the last time you wept and you wailed because you were rich? We don't think that way, do we? If you see somebody that gets a lot of money or gets a big promotion, what are you thinking? Wow, I wish I had something like that. That's awesome. <laughs> and James says, weep and wail because you're rich? Again, you let the Lord speak to your heart today. Here's what I want to hit you with, and I have said this before, and I hope that you'll take this with you today. Only what you do for Christ will last. Hear the Lord today. What's going to happen to that two hundred, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollar house when you die? Well, your kids or your nieces or nephews are going to fight over it, or somebody else is going to come in and right. What's going to happen to those seventy-seven fishing poles when you die? Insert whatever there, shoes, clothes, pantry of food that you'll never touch. What's going to matter? That's what's going to matter. When you get to the Lord, when everything's said and done, he's not going to ask you about your 401k and how well it flourished. And I, I know it's funny, but I'm serious, right? He's not going to come to look at your checkbook and say, Wow, you made a lot of money. You did really good. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you for my kingdom? That's what he wants to know. And that's what I'm challenging myself today more than any of you. Do with what the Lord has given you for his glory and not for your stuff. Not for hoarding it up. Weep and wail over your riches. Only what you do for Christ. <coughs> Diane, bring up the next slide, please. What have you done with your life that will last? 
What have you done that was significant in eternity? If we could take away all your money and on your possessions, your job, your status, Lord, help us even your family and your health, what is left? What have you done for the kingdom? You guys have heard this story before, similar stories. But if somebody had their house burned down, unfortunately, and if they lost all their pictures in their house, what are the pictures that they have left? They're the ones they gave away. Right? If you lose all your possessions and all your status and all your titles, all you have left is the service and the ministry that you have given away. And I'm begging you and begging myself today, let our lives be just poured out in service and ministry for our kingdom, because our king and his kingdom, because that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to be held up. That's what's so much more important than all the riches. Well, let's look a little further this morning. Second paragraph today, the crimes of the rich oppressors. Crimes of the rich oppressor. Verse 4, James says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing Again, do you hear the language he's using? Like this, he's not like glossing it over. It's not just like, oh, you, you could do a little better here. That's not the way he's working. You have murdered innocent men because of what you wanted and you were not willing to do what the Lord would have you do because you had to possess. The rich here were cheating their employees that they might get more gain, that the employers would get more gain. What's worse is those who were cheated We're not crying out to the courts, but they're crying out to the Lord Almighty, and the Lord hears their cries. You guys, it's very biblical that the Lord hears the cries of the poor. You don't want to be caught oppressing the poor, because the Lord is their protector. So we need to be about those things. Again, can I challenge you this morning? This is where I get challenged, too. I don't want you to dive into overanalyzing every element of your life. That's not where I'm trying to get you. I want you to get a place of generosity and stewardship. You guys, the Lord has blessed everybody in this room so much. Wouldn't you agree? Wow, all the blessings that we have. So my challenge to you today is not to make a whole list of every possession and am I doing whatever, but asking the Lord to say, Lord, let me free up and everything that I have that comes through my hands is yours. If you need my van, you use it. If you need a room in my house, you use it. If you need the groceries in my pantry, you use it. If you need my shoes to carry me somewhere or my bicycle to help someone else or a television or something to help somebody else, you use it. Everything I have, Lord, is yours. You take it and you use it, all right? Instead of, well, well, this is mine, and this is mine, and this is mine. And I'm afraid we get caught often hoarding when we should be releasing. Rod Cooper writes this, and that was really good. He says, Psalm 95 always sends me back to the family farm. We raised pigs 
we raised about 1,000 pigs a year. In one field, we had two or 300 little oinkers running around. Every day at 4 in the morning, as I'd walk into the field to feed those guys, they'd scatter. Once a little pig came up and began to chew on my foot, so I picked him up, and I began to pet him. Soon he wanted down. I said, no, I'll let you down when I'm ready. At that moment, he let out a squeal such as I had never heard. In about two seconds, 30 mama pigs weighing five to 600 pounds each were headed my way. I put him down and headed for the fence. I barely made it over, and all the mama pigs were snorting and walking back and forth, daring me to come back over and bother one of their kids. I look back at that and realize the little rascal wasn't intimidated. He was out of control, but he wasn't intimidated. Why? Because one squeal away, he had resources. Now let me ask you something. If one of God's creatures is that sensitive to the cry of its own, how much more sensitive is the Heavenly Father to the cry of his own? Just one squeal away, we have resources. If God asks you to give $100,000, does he have the resources to give you $200,000 later on? Do you really believe that? Lord, I can only give a $20 bill because that way I feel safe and secure and comfortable in that. Have you ever had God call you to do something that you're like, I can't do that. That makes no sense. I, I won't be able to take care of myself if I do that. You guys ever made those type of decisions? Here's the reminder, if the Lord calls you to do something, will he resource it? 100% every time. Give us this day our daily bread. If the Lord's calling, you do it. It'll be okay. I don't want to go too much detail, but I've been pretty proud of my son. This old crazy truck ordeal. And we first looked at that and we're like, there's no way. I don't know how the Lord's going to do this. And it's still an ordeal. It probably will be for months to come. But the Lord has been providing and meeting his needs, and he can see where God has been working and stuff that he thought there was no way this will ever work out. The Lord showed up. And he will for you too. But you've got to let go of the stuff. Again, I hope you hear me talking to me way more than you this morning. But you've got to let go of that stuff. Use it. Let it be blessed by the Lord. James is condemning these people because they live in luxury and self-indulgence. Does that sound familiar at all to our day? That's a little close, isn't it, right? Their desire is totally for themselves, disregarding the needs of others, especially those who need Jesus. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this passage has always challenged me. Verse 7. It says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Look at this. This is so hard. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to who? To your brothers. The problem there in Corinthians and that church there was there were some people that had a dispute, probably a property dispute. And instead of dealing it with it as brothers and sisters in Christ and resolving the issue, you know what they did? They took a family problem to public court. And they said, I'm going to get what I deserve, and I'm going to get my rights. 
you guys. Even in our state association in Illinois, we had an issue one time where another church came in <coughs> and improperly took over one of our churches and basically took the property and took all the money. But they were believers, and we were believers. And do you know what our board was trying to figure out what to do? We just sue them. That's our property. We deserve it. We should get it. Do you think this passage applies to that at all? What did Paul say to the church? Why not rather be what? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? No, no, preacher, that's not, I live in America, I get my rights. Do you think that God cannot establish and give you a better piece of property or a bigger church if you'll just let that be what it needs to be, if you'll obey him? Can I tell you the same thing in your life? When you're fighting for your rights so hard, give it to the Lord. He can take care of it. You're like, oh, I need to claim my little piece of whatever. He's got a big piece of whatever if you'll let go of the little piece. Lord, help us. We live in such a society where we want to cling and grab and take hold of our wealth and our riches. And God say, let it go. We're like, well, everybody else is not letting it go, Lord. I hope you're hearing the Lord today. Now, I'm trying to get out of the way, but I'm trying to convey what James is saying because we are so hardened to this. I don't think it even can hardly get in because we got so much stuff. Mother Teresa quote, really simple but so true. The more you have, the less you can give. And the less you have, the more you can give. That ain't right, is it? The more you have, what do you have to do? You got two cars, now what do you got to do? You got to wash two cars. You got to insure two cars. You got to oil change two cars. You got three cars or four cars? Lord help you. <laughs> right? Well, you have a quarter of an acre lot. What do you have to do? You got to mow it and weed it, clean it. Well, you got an acre lot. Oh, it's so beautiful. What do you got to do? Well, now I got to mow it and I got to weed it. You got a five acre lot. What do you got to do? How much time are you taking to take care of that the more you have? I'm not pulling punches at anybody in particular today. I just want you to hear the Lord today, right? I'm doing the same thing. The more I have, the more I attach, the more I grab hold of, the more I have to organize and deal with, and the less time I have to give of me to people who need to hear the Lord and need to have someone love and listen to them. And usually what we think is, oh, if I can just have more, what am I going to do? I can give more. Usually what happens is as we have more, we buy more, and then we have less time because we're taking care of the more that we have. Please don't hear, please hear the Lord. I think Mother Teresa was right in her quote. Again, they treated every day as over a feast day, completely living in luxury and self-indulgence. They used their riches to condemn the innocent, to have their own way in court. We see that in our own country, where the wealthy almost rarely get prosecuted, right? And the poor are the ones who are easily to be set aside. They kill innocent men who were not opposing them. Okay, let's pose up here today. A few of us today probably... If we ask us if we're rich, we would be real quick to be relative about that, right? Like if you highlighted some other country, we might say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're really rich compared to them. But no, as where I live, I'm not really a rich person. And I would challenge you today that I think if James were actually going to see who was rich in this building, we'd probably be about 99.9% .9 would fit the bill. 
Again, maybe, and I don't know how this works, but sometimes I frankly maybe don't have an accurate picture of ourselves. I would dare say that many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world would disagree with our humble opinion. So a few things as we wrap up here today. First thing, we need to give careful attention to how we are using the money and the resources that God gives us, right? What are you doing with what the Lord's giving you? Second thing, we need to be careful not to be consumed by the hunger for more, more money or more things, but we need to be consumed with the desire to use the things we do have to the Lord's glory. Again, hear the Lord today. We need to learn contentment in Christ. Find that, you will be good. We must be thankful for the riches God gives us, and we need an attitude, I would rather be wronged. God will keep an accurate account. Lord, help me. We must remember that only what is for the kingdom truly has lasting value. Everything else will vanish. What are we taught? We're taught from such a young age to prepare for retirement, aren't we? I mean, that is what we've learned from early on. You need to be storing up treasure and wealth for your latter years. You need to protect yourself. You need to insure yourself. And here's what I want to challenge you with. And again, you let the Lord speak to you today on this one. But I think we must be careful about our rainy day philosophy. How much just-in-case protection and security do we really need? Who is your protection? Who is your security? Is it your insurance company? Is it your Medicare health plan? Is it your retirement plan? Or is your insurance and your provision really in the Lord? Again, let me get out of the way, and you have that debate with God this morning. But I think for many of us, we are putting way too much hope in the things of this world rather than than in our God. If we are ever so privileged to employ Rather than to be employed, we must remember to treat our employees honestly and as we would want to be treated. In 1956, Jacques Lowe photographed Robert Kennedy. Kennedy's father, Joseph, was so impressed with Lowe, he asked him to autograph JFK and his wife. Three years later, Lowe became the official photographer of Kennedy's presidential campaign. And after Kennedy was elected, Lowe became his personal photographer. He was very meticulous. He had an estimated 40,000 negatives of images of JFK and his family, though only three to 400 photographs were made public. So there's still 39,000 pictures out there. While he was alive, Lowe watchfully monitored the use of his pictures. When a publication or a museum wanted prints, he personally took the negatives to the lab for printing, and when the job was done, he retrieved them himself. Lowe's daughter, Thomasina, said, He was being more prudent than most. He really believed they were as safe as they could ever be, she said. He chose to have them there because he was six blocks away from them, and he felt psychologically as if they were under his bed. All 40,000 negatives were kept in a safe deposit vault at the J.P. Morgan Chase Bank branch at Five World Trade Center, a nine-story building that was heavily damaged in the September 11th attacks. A team of engineers, a 100-ton crane, forklifts, iron workers, dump trucks were brought in as part of a plan 
to move the vault from the second floor, but workers found major fire damage in the vault area and ashes filled the safe deposit boxes. The only thing that would have survived was metal or stone. September 11th serves as an important reminder that earthly treasures are subject to moth and rust, to thieves and fire. The only lasting treasure we can store up is in heaven. Last verse today, you guys know it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you, given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own, right? Lord, I pray just today that you would hear the Lord again, not me. Talk to the Lord about what you're doing with what he's given you. Are you making an eternal difference with the provision that God has given you temporarily here? 